Stuff Podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Wright and welcome to The Long Read from Stuff. Coming at you with this bonus episode. Uh, there is no long read per se in this edition, sorry, um, but instead we are looking at premium content of a different kind. Stuff, as you may have seen recently, has gone deep on the TV quiz show The Chase. These four people have never met before, but by working as a team they have the chance to win thousands of pounds. There's just one thing standing in their way. The chaser. The chase is on. Some of you may have seen the coverage. Uh, Our data experts have crunched the numbers on the show to find out things like uh, how often contestants win, who's the toughest chaser to beat, and top tips on how to beat them. So we have a suite of stories that we've been running on this. And here at The Long Read, we are going to talk about the project and also have a bit of a group think on the chase. Why is it such a phenomenon and so successful in New Zealand? Joining me today to talk about this are Stuff Senior Data Journalist Kate Newton. Hello, Kate. Kia ora. And the editor of Stuff to Watch and host of the podcast of the same name, James Crute. Hey, James. How are you? I'm good. So the chase is just a juggernaut of a TV quiz show. It first aired in the UK in 2009, where it now regularly pulls in about three to five million viewers per episode. It spawned spin-offs in at least 17 countries, including Australia and the US. And unless you've been living under a rock, you will probably know that the UK version is in New Zealand, weeknights on TVNZ1, and delivers a blockbuster lead-in audience to the station's 6pm news bulletin. Just to give you an idea, about 300,000 of us watch each episode of The Chase, and more than half of all New Zealanders have seen at least one episode. This is a daytime TV quiz show made in another country that we're talking about. Kate, you are the data journalist, so can you first of all give us an overview of the project to start with? Sure thing. So as you have just mentioned, Obviously, it has a massive following here in New Zealand for for whatever reason, and we'll we'll get into that. But we had noticed, uh, and when I say we, I mean myself and my colleague, uh, Felipe Rodriguez, we had noticed that every time a story about the chase appears on stuff, the audience numbers for those stories are always really, really good. That's like always, it's always in the top. Lap up content. And so, so we thought, Rather than these, you know, overseas kind of wire stories about the chase and so on, let's actually take a really good look at the chase itself and do something really fun and cool and exciting to look at um, that can give all of these huge chase fans in New Zealand something to really get their teeth into. So that was the the impetus for the project. And uh, then we essentially went to work looking for sources of information and data because we're data journalists. That's that's what we like, numbers, um, and thinking about how we could put together a story or an interactive that would fascinate people and tell them something about the show they might not know. So people will have seen, hopefully, at least some of our coverage of this. And yeah, like before we get into what exactly you broke down, which is mm-hmm. some of the things I mentioned earlier about who's the toughest chaser and how much money, et cetera. How did you get your hands on this data and then crunch it? Yeah, so uh, as you say, we'll, we'll have a chat about what we actually found. But the, the project, when you come to it and the main interactive, um, presents you with a series of data visualizations that break down all of those numbers. And so we needed to find that information somewhere. Uh, it's not only New Zealanders that are huge fans of the chase. It seems to have massive followings in lots of countries around the world, um, which is part of the reason, I guess, there are all those spin-offs of the, the original Chase UK. And there's... Of course, uh, like every fandom, um, there is a wiki. There's a wiki fandom on the internet with a whole bunch of people who are like the the kind of pinnacle of chase obsessives who collect information and collate it about every single episode. So who the chaser was, uh, what the potential prize pool was, whether the chaser won or the contestants won, what date the show aired, uh, the target that was set by the team uh, for the chaser to chase, all of this stuff. So that was all sitting there in this beautiful repository that we essentially just needed to come along and and put our scripts to work on to, to scrape that data into a, into a database that we could then use. Somehow it's not even remotely surprising that all of this exists somewhere online, the internet. It just has every chase data point 
since forever. <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, the easy part of the project actually was finding the source of the data, which sometimes can be um, the hardest part of being a data journalist. But this was, you know, a sitting duck for us, essentially. OK, so if people are listening this far, they've probably either are one familiar with the chase. We haven't actually described the format of the show or anything, but we're guessing people <laughs> are generally familiar with it. Um, and they may have seen some of our coverage that you put together. So you crunched these numbers and found a bunch of things. Tell us about those. How did you pin down, okay, what are we going to do with this? And, and what did you actually find? So I guess the thing that we were angling at as both fans of the taste, and I'd say Felipe is a bigger fan of the show than I am. He He was the one that really drove this as a topic because he when he moved from the States to here to work for stuff, he needed to find something to to fill the hole in his life that was left um, by jeopardy. So the Chase UK became his stand-in. Um, so what we really wanted to answer, I guess, was for all of those people out there who ever thought, hey, I wonder if I could win on the Chase or if I could, you know, be on this TV show, hmm. what are the things that would tend towards success? You know, if obviously the chaser is a really big part of that. If you go up against the most successful chaser, your chances of success accordingly are probably going to going to be lower. So we thought the question overall that we really want to answer is crunching all of the data and looking at it in every single direction. Which chaser is the best chaser? Who's the smartest chaser? Um, and who are you um, most likely to to win against? Um, and then and then we looked at some other things as well around um, the target set and whether that predicted success, uh, the number of people who ended up in the chase at the end, because, of course, you have contestants that, that drop out um, in the format of the show, all those sorts of things. All right. So should we do it now? Do you want to tell us who is who are the chasers? Who's the hardest? OK, so there are six chasers. Do we want to talk about who the chasers are? Yeah, let's do that. James, do you want to jump in there? Because I'm guessing we haven't heard from you yet and you're going to know all of this. So <laughs> do you want to introduce the chasers to us? Well, that might be tricky, actually. I have to admit that the, 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 we know that there's Anne Hegarty, obviously. You know. <laughs> they, they all have their nicknames. It's it's one of the you know great things about it. But People will have seen Paul Sinha, uh, the Cineman, and, and all his stand-up antics. I mean, one of the things that they've done in terms of uh, promoting these these celeb- these people as celebrities, is they brought them out to New Zealand in a lot of cases. Yeah, like two or three of them have been to New Zealand and probably been... Sean Wallace, stories. the Dark Destroyer, went around rest homes, basically. <laughs> I mean, which, which probably gives you a hint as to the target audience. But yeah, um, Katie, I'll probably let you go with all six. I'm, I'm not a fan of their most latest chaser, I have to say. Ooh, this is, this is hot take we'll, before we we'll get, get to hot takes. This. Because we did actually ask people not just who they thought the best chaser was, but who their favourite chaser was. So we actually have two two winners. So oh. we say one one an objective winner, and one the you know the people's prince or princess. Okay, really quickly, Kate, run us through the chasers and then tell us who the who the best who the best quote unquote. Yeah. So we've got Sean Wallace, the Dark Destroyer. We have Mark Labbert, the Beast. Uh, we have Anne Hegarty, the Governess. Uh, we have Jenny Ryan, the Vixen. Jenny's one of two of the newer chasers. Uh, we have uh, Paul Sinha, the Cineman, uh, as James mentioned. And then the final chaser, who's only been on the show for two full seasons. So this is his third season on the show, is Dara Ennis, the Menace. And Dara is actually unique in the show in that he actually was a contestant on the chase who performed really well. He had a terrible team who deeply let him down and uh, all sorts of things were set up to um I think there was like a, a give a little essentially that was set up for Dara to try and get him some of the prize money that viewers felt that he should have won and he eventually became a chaser so those are your six and the winner is the winner is a little drum roll at this end we actually had two winners so of all the chasers Dara who's been on the show for to two and a bit seasons actually has the best stats. No! <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We can talk about Dara a little bit more. But Dara actually does have the best stats. He wins uh, 80 to 81% of the time at the moment. And how is how much of a lead is that? Who's, who's next best? Well, so the average across all six chasers is 76% of the time. So the chasers, you know, win three quarters of the time. Hmm. Um, you're not going to win anything at all. 
um, no matter how smart you are, the taste is going to beat you. Uh, but yeah, so 81% is a bit of a bump. Um, is that down to his small sample size? Well, yes. So we thought when we came across these results, actually, he's only been in there for a couple of seasons. He hasn't really been around long enough to prove that this is the standard that he set or if this is just beginner's luck, essentially. So we looked at the other five chasers and said, okay, well, who's the next best out of the more established chasers? And that is Jenny Ryan, who has been on the show for six seasons, still shorter than some of the veterans, but we felt, you know, that was that was enough of a sample size to say, pretty clearly that, that she's the best, the best of the rest. And her success rate is about 80% as well. So just behind, 81 to 80. Just behind. Just behind. Who's the worst? Yeah. Worst. Worst. I say worst. I, I'm sorry to say that the worst chaser is Sean Wallace, the Dark Destroyer. I'm not surprised by that, actually. Why are you sorry to say? Is he your favourite? Well, he's not my favourite, but he's Stuff Reader's favourite. Oh, he was he was the winner of our oh, uh, popularity contest. See, that was the rest home visits that did it. <laughs> <laughs> Carried the grey vote, did Sean? Well, he was probably the last one to visit here. Why does that not surprise you, James? Um, having watched him in action, he seems to have the biggest gaps in terms of knowledge, or he makes the biggest blunders. If you've ever watched all five of them together on the spin-off show, Beat the Chasers, he's the one that they all blame. Um, you know, and Mark Labbert is in particularly very quick to point the finger if Sean stuffs up on a question that costs them the chase on that particular thing where they all have to work together. Um, I'd be what I would be interested to know um, would be how Paul Sinha has been tracking in the last couple of years because of course he's had a Parkinson's diagnosis and you can see it in the way his face has changed over the last couple of years. I'd be interested to know if his stats were still as high as they were in the early days. Well, I can actually tell you that if you give me one second, we we have a graph for that. We have graphs for everything. Brilliant. There's um, a graph. <laughs> and we actually do have a, a little line chart that shows performance of each chaser over the 14 seasons. So where are we? Here we go. So Mark was the one that you were interested in, yes? Uh, actually, Paul. Paul. But, but Paul, Paul. But Mark would be interesting from another point of view. So okay. I'll, I'll take so, that. Interestingly, Paul's success rate has been tracking up for the last five seasons. Interesting. He's actually, he's on the up and up. Mark is a bit more all over the place and he has kind of been muddling along in the high 70s or sort of mid 70s and really dropped off in the last couple of seasons. He was down to sort of high 60s in the, in the most recent completed season. If you don't take this the wrong way, um, he has been spreading himself thinly. He's obviously appeared on the US version. He's been doing another, a number of other things. I just must mention that the American version I quite like because it uses former Jeopardy champions as its chasers. That makes sense. Yeah. Kate, what else have we got? We've done smartest or best chaser, most popular chaser. What else have you got? Sorry. My battery is about to run out <laughs> on this laptop. I thought that this was a power cord, but it's not. Um, can we pause for 30 seconds? Yes, we can. All right. I'm going to go and plug in. Give me a sec. Sorry. Hi, everyone. We're back. Kate has a charger for her laptop. Yes? Yes, I do. I do. I've been rescued by somebody here who, who ferreted around and found me one. Yeah. You'll never know how long James and I waited because we've seamlessly weave this together. Kate, what else do you have? What other results? What other results? So the other thing that we uh, looked at was how much money is actually won on the chase because one of the unique parts of the chase is that you could amass the biggest potential prize pool of all time and still walk away with nothing if you don't actually beat the chaser in the final chase. Right, so, so very quickly we, we should probably say, sorry, um, yes. Contestants amass a certain pot of money that they then compete for against one of the chasers at the end, and whoever gets the most questions right in the final round wins the money. That's right. Or, or zero if it's not the contestants. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, so we we actually looked at how much money had been won across the entire history of the chase, and it's really low. So it's about £9.5 million pounds 
Great British pounds. So we're talking, you know, 18 and a half million New Zealand dollars across 14 seasons. How many, how many shows? Chase. Uh, nearly 1,800 episodes. It's like a few thousand pounds per episode on average. That's nothing. No. It's kind of, it's kind of brilliant when you think about it. Like it's, 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 it's diabolically brilliant. Yeah. So if I was a TV exec, I'd be very happy with that. Um, look, I guess who wants to be a millionaire kind of worked in a similar way in that except they always knew they were going to have to pay out a thousand pounds unless someone did really, really badly. Mm. Um, you know, there's kind of that bottom level, but they didn't often have to pay out uh, unless people were coughing uh, very high numbers very often. There's, you know, different, different targets that um, each chaser kind of, or, or different amounts that each chaser sort of gives away each time. So some chasers are more expensive than others. For example, oh. um, when we looked at the average prize uh, one against each chaser, you know, Jenny Ryan, not only did she have the highest win rate of the five established chasers, but she also um, had the lowest prize pools. So even if you could beat Jenny, <laughs> you, you're actually not rewarded for your efforts uh, in the slightest. Interesting. Efficient. Yeah. Yeah. I think 20, 25,000 pounds average. Uh, that was Anne Hegarty. So the governess, um, that was the highest average prize pool. And that's the prize pool. That's not even a guarantee. Yeah, win. so among the if the contestants win, what's the average winning amount? Ooh, now you're asking me something that I don't actually think that we put into the story. I did work this out. Um, so it'll be it'll be higher. Uh, five figures. Yeah. Let me let me come back to you on that. We okay. can keep talking. James Talk. Kate's yep. going to come back to us with the with the total prize pool. Uh, that uh, they generate against each of the chasers, Kate. Is that a result of potentially the chaser catching them during the earlier rounds, or is that a result of people playing more conservatively against them? So taking the lower offer of the three at the start of each of the individual chasers. Unfortunately, that was one thing that was missing from this big wiki fandom. Yeah. Uh, there wasn't... Um, any information about what prizes people or yeah, what sort of starting point people were offered uh, during that face-to-face -face stage of the game uh, okay. and what they actually took. So we don't really have anything to base that on, but I would say that, you know, the, the size of the prize pool probably indicates if the size of the potential prize pool is lower than that indicates that either people didn't do particularly well mm. in the face-to-face -face stage or they accepted a lower offer. And there's a correlation between how goodly or badly you do on your cash build around and the mm. amounts you get offered by the chaser yes. in the chase section. Yeah. yeah. Which which indicates that if like you it's scaled up if you're smart, playing with higher amounts. Yeah. yeah. If you're smart, then you'll tend to amass a larger prize pool. Or if you're collectively as a team are, are smart, then you'll you'll have a larger prize pool. So the other thing I think is the tipping point. What when it comes to the final chase how many questions do you need? What do you need to beat the chaser and win? Yeah, so this was something else that we looked at that I think is um, very interesting for any aspiring chase contestants out there. 21 is when the balance starts to tip in your favour as a team. Once a target of 21 or higher gets set, then teams are more likely to win than the chaser. Anything below that and the chaser more likely than not will succeed. Okay. So it's a 50-50 thing. It becomes more likely you will win as contestants 21 and higher. Yeah. And that, that you know, increases basically. The higher the, the target goes, the more likely uh, you are as a team to win. I think we found that a target of 24, and we're talking across 1,800 episodes, in episodes where a target of 24 was set, the chaser has only caught a target of 24 or more six times in the entire history of the show. So once you start to get into those low 20s, you've got a pretty good chance of walking away with the money. And I have some information about the total prize money now, going back oh, to average, average prize pools available. So the average prize pool that's set by teams is about... 18,000 pounds the average successful prize pool so this is the average prize pool set by teams that ultimately do win the money is 22,000 pounds so successful teams 
tend to have a slightly larger prize pool in the beginning. Successful teams are slightly smarter, which makes sense. Yes. By the sound. And there'll yep. be more of a team in some cases, like there'll be more than two of them. Or... There was a lady once, because well, there was a stuff story about it, there was that lady who crushed it on her own. Mm. And I mean, I think that's possible, but I think also the target does seem to bear some correlation to the number of people who are there at the end. If you have four people who are able to answer those quick fire trivia questions, it, I mean, it stands to reason that you're probably going to be able to answer more of them faster and set a higher target, right? You will have those outliers like somebody who just, you know, absolutely crushes it solo. So we're going to come back. There are some more results Kate has for us based on reader responses to the chase project we'll hear from them soon but first let's talk a bit more about the chase because as we've said and haven't really examined yet this show is just a phenomenon like no other it doesn't it almost doesn't make sense how popular the show is so James I don't know who but somebody smart somewhere once said if you want to understand a country and its culture watch its game shows New Zealand doesn't really have its own game shows anymore so what do you think what does our national chase obsession say about us? I think it ties into our colonial roots, our Britishness, the, the fact that we still have quite a large expat population. I think if you looked at the audience numbers for the chase, and it's 5pm viewing, seven nights a week really, not just five, um, it, it, it definitely skews towards an older audience. It plays on TVNZ1. It's probably one of the rare shows that probably has a much higher audience in terms of that linear broadcasting than who watch it on demand. In fact, I've rarely seen it in any of TVNZ's on-demand figures as being a high-rating show at all. So it's really about that watching it in the moment kind of thing. You know, it's what you put on when you're uh, making dinner or, you know, doing other things at that time. Having a sherry. Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's Well, it's the early bird special in terms of the the uh, older audience. But look, in a lot of ways, we've never really had our own game shows. The problem is now we've taken it to the nth degree and we don't even have our own version of an international format. Which we used to do, like Sale of the Century or something. Look, master, Sunday nights mastermind. used to be Mastermind or University Challenge. You know, the two just cycled round. Um, there used to be, and I've talked about this in print before and online, there used to be a pathway. When I was a kid back in the 80s, you went from W3 to It's Academic to University Challenge. You could throw in the Krypton Factor. And then you had the the money prize things like Sale of the Century or Wheel of Fortune, if you want to go a bit broader and more game showy than than an actual challenge, if you like. Um, so, look, we've just lost that whole concept of it we've tried to reinvent things in the last few years um there's the nine live series um maori tv have tried a couple of different things there's still the legacy of it's in the bag which used to go you know into communities and and have a three question quiz but to be honest that was more about giving away prizes and banter than than any real test of knowledge but yeah, we've just lost that whole thing. And I noticed there has been a trend. I think given the success of The Chase, channels like Eden and and Three's Discoveries kind of shows that they have now, they've very much gone back to that British well. So we're now seeing Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? We're now seeing The Weakest Link, all these British versions of shows. But, yeah, I, I don't know how we get back to where we once were, to commissioning... Uh, people at networks just don't seem interested in quiz shows anymore, even though we have this phenomenon that is the chase. Is it just cheaper, easier, in a smaller country as New Zealand to buy stuff in I that think people so. love because we're a British colony at heart? Well, I guess the question is, would New Zealand on air pay for one of these? I don't know that we've put that to the test in recent times. But I think perhaps the most damning thing of the last few years is when we did finally get around to trying to make a local version of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, not only did we get Mike Hosking to host it, but we we flew contestants over to Australia to film it because it was cheaper to rent their, their studio. studio. <laughs> yeah. I think the other thing, just going back to its, its immense popularity here as well, is that we talked about, you know, it's, it's Sherry Hour. It's very popular among an older cohort. When I was talking to people, 
about the story while we were developing it, there were people, you know, my age, I'm not the youngest person ever, but, you know, I'm in my mid-30s. I'm not not in a rest home yet. Uh, people my age were saying, oh, no, I love the chase. And often it was because they watched it with an older relative or also I encountered a lot of people who watched it actually during lockdown. It was their kind of wind down uh, at the end of the working day, you know, something to mark the break between the end of the working day and going off to cook dinner or, or you know, wind down with a drink, um, what have you. So I was, I was actually astounded at how many people I knew of my generation who confessed themselves as ardent Chase fans. I, I think another thing with it is this idea of the democratisation or the homogenisation of the pub quiz. So it used to be that pub quizzes were these things held in various pubs around the country, only a few, and they'd be not necessarily run by celebrities, but run by local celebrities. So Jim Mora used to do one in Dunedin when I was a kid. Um, and, and you'd get these regular quiz masters who'd have their quirks. But every pub did something different. Now we have Believe It or Not, which is in virtually every pub in the country. I mean, you could go any night of the week in one of the major cities and you could do that week's quiz. Everybody has got the same questions. And so there's that feeling from that that probably established in lockdown as well, that that was the idea of that being brought home. And so then everybody gets to have their go at this quiz. You know, it is mindless viewing in some ways, but it's also interactive mindless viewing, so you can challenge yourself if you want to. Or with the chase, you've got these distinctive personalities that you can identify with or, you know, get behind or ridicule. You know, you're not really worried about the contestants. It's all about the chases themselves. Mm. I think I think there is an underdog element, though. And, you know, looking at those stats, totally. the chase wins three quarters of the time and they've set up the chases as these kind of villains. You know, the names yes. they have, the Dark Destroyer, the Menace, the Governess, they're all kind of these looming, scary figures, right? So they are actually setting up not just the contestants, but actually the audience in opposition to the chaser. Oh, yeah, 100%. This, I think I've probably seen the chase the least of all of us. I've probably seen, I don't know, like a dozen episodes in my life, but I watched a couple more for this and... What you just said, Kate, I think that's that's the key. I think that's why it's so popular. Like, not to get all long read about it, but The Chase almost has like a narrative in the way that other quiz shows don't. You've got this random group of people. They come together. They're on this quest. They've got to get win some money. Some of them won't survive. And they've got to, you know, work together to achieve this common goal. So they're like, they're like protagonists in a story, basically. Mm-hmm. And crucially, as you just said, they have an antagonist who's the chaser, who's yeah, a pantomime villain, basically. But that's someone we can all, you know, root against, which sounds simplistic, but it's actually quite a, a powerful force in your mind, especially on something, you know, as benign as a game show, usually. Like if you think of Jeopardy or Sale of the Century or whatever, they don't have anything that dynamic. Well, there you have no antagonist, do no, you? it's just a guy, it's just a host. And he asks questions and then tells you if you've got the answer right or not, and that's it. Which is, again, brings me to, I think, kind of the same point, but the second half, which we haven't mentioned yet, which is the enigma of Bradley Walsh, who I think is crucial to the success of the show. One, because he is, you know, relatable everyman par excellence, but he's, again, an avatar for the viewers. He's on our side. He's rooting for the contestant, so it's all good. And that's a whole lot more interesting than, you know, just having that straight-up game show host like Alex Trebek or Steve Parr who those guys were passive, you know, they didn't have a dog in the fight, which is fine, totally. But like Alex Trebek was beloved on Jeopardy. That's totally fine. But it's it's a subtle difference on the chase that you have this host who's an actor kind of in the show. Yeah, and he also gives you as a viewer and the contestants and even the chasers on occasion permission to not actually take the whole thing too seriously. Oh, totally. He's breaking you know, character. He's breaking the fourth wall constantly. Absolutely. His, his multitude of breakdowns where he's in fits of giggles and actually can't speak because he can't breathe is well documented. You can go onto YouTube. Oh, there's, if there are memes. Every, yeah. and it will, you know, provide you with so many, so many search results. You've put show jumping. <laughs> the other thing about 
Walsh is, um, he has mastered the incredibly difficult art of the inane chit-chat with the quiz show contestant, which is just the bane of every TV quiz show. Somehow he makes that stupid patter work. If that's one weakness of Jeopardy, it's that. that the thing they have to do each day. And, and when somebody's on a run of 30 days, it can become seriously. But you have to wonder, in a lot of cases, how these people ever decided that that was the one anecdote that should be told about them on television. We're often screaming at the television at home going, why, out of everything, did you choose that? It's just incredible. All right, let's move on. James kind of trampled on this earlier, but hot takes. Give me your hottest take on the show. Turns out James hates Dara. <laughs> Look, there's just something about him. He just what's wrong with him? He just comes across as the weakest of the personalities. It's quite, like I understand the whole backstory now that he was a contestant who became a the the contestant done good sort of thing, and it's just kind of like oh, I don't know. He just doesn't seem like he doesn't have that distinctive personality that the others do, and. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just the times I've watched it. He always seems a bit more of an easy easy mark than the others, but clearly that's not the case. Maybe he's just lulling everyone into a full sense of security. Yeah, well, the uh, you're not the only one. Dara was actually the least popular um, of the, the 35,000 or so stuff readers. So he got 6%. Sean Wallace, who won, got 20, 21.5%, 22%. Maybe we subconsciously like the ones who let us, us, the contestants, win more. Well, possibly. I did think that there might be something in that, but I also think that this could just be a question of longevity. The four chasers that have been on the show the longest, um, you know, we had Sean and Mark, I believe, were the first two um, and got added a season later and then Paul came along a couple of seasons after that, were well ahead of Jenny and Dara in, in that popularity poll. And so I wonder if it's just a sense of, you know, you say that every time you see Dara, he doesn't really seem to have that much of a personality. And I wonder if that's length of time on the show, that actually he hasn't had time to properly develop a character or, you know, gain the, the trust and affection of viewers. Or maybe he is just fundamentally dislikable. <laughs> Could be that. Yeah. Maybe there's no hope for him. He just kind of sucks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I have to say, yeah. I mean, not 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 a big watcher of the taste. And I watched a few episodes with Dara, and I thought, oh, seems you know, seems like a nice guy. Yeah, who's your favorite? But, uh, I had nothing to compare him to. Who's your favorite? Well, I mean, I I'm probably going to go with either Anne or Jenny because you know I feel like I have to stick up for my own kind here, and also <laughs> Jenny's 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 smarter than the rest of them, so. That always wins my respect. I so like yeah, Jenny. I'd, I'd vote for Jenny. I'd probably, uh, I don't have strong enough feelings on the chase, though. I'll probably vote for Jenny. James? Yeah, look, I uh, yeah, Jenny is definitely one of my favourites. I, I, I don't know. It's probably Paul, given some of the – given his – quick-wittedness, um, his sort of sly sense of humour, but also probably from his season of Taskmaster as well, which was probably one of the best seasons of them all, even though he was terrible. Um, yeah, there's just there's something about him which is just kind of endearing and, and, and whip-smart at the same time. Mm-hmm. Okay. We kind of talked about this before with some of the results, but what are the tactics for the chase. You're on the chase. What, what what do you do to give yourself the best chance to win, other than luck in and have smart teammates, say? Well, shall I kick off with what I've got from my data? Yes. A, the scientific take on it, and then we'll we'll see what James thinks. Um, so, yeah, as, as you alluded to, smart teammates, obviously very helpful. Yeah, so two things really uh, – that that's important for the first first thing is obviously that it helps you build up a bigger prize pool. Uh, you'd hope if there's four of you contributing and and you know you're building or, or getting higher offers or able to take those higher offers in the in the early stages of the game. So a bigger prize pool means more money that you might be walking away with at the end. That's always a good thing. And then the second thing is that yes, it just helps you set that higher total that we've talked about before. If, if there's four of you answering those quick fire trivia questions at the end when you're building the target for the chaser, that sort of lends itself to 
being able to build a higher target in the first place. There's fewer silences. Even if you don't know the question, the person standing next to you might. So that all helps. And and but yeah, really that high total, I think it's it's not so much a tactic, but it's something that you're aiming for. Because as we saw, there's a tipping point once you get to 20 or more questions where uh, your chances of success really start to ramp up. James? I think the key, like a lot of shows like of the mastermind, straight quiz ilk, is not mucking around. If you don't know it, pass. You're not losing money? Yes, I noticed that on the thing. Like when they don't know, especially if there's fewer of you, just pass. Say something. Get, yep. the, get one. Get, an, get just the get next it question moving. that you might The know. more questions you can have in the time period, the more likely you are to accumulate money. You're not losing money if you say nothing. And I was just thinking as well that one of the things about the chases, this wasn't created in a vacuum. There was a series before this called Eggheads, which was essentially a panel of chases against a team. So you'd have a team of four people up against four essentially chases. And so this is more an individual kind of thing. Uh, and and it's just been kind of honed and refined. But yeah, in terms of success, it really is just about that. Also working out in those early stages, how many steps you might be able to stay ahead of the chaser. Um, I think that's probably key. You make a mistake there. You can get, do all the hard work in the cash builder and then you throw it away by only giving yourself a margin of error of one or two. And luck out on a yeah, one or two questions. Exactly. Mm. I think our quiz master here at Staff, uh, Shara Hume, who puts together the daily quizzes each day uh, that you see if you go to Stuff, she has actually put together a whole story about what she thinks you need to do to be able to beat the chasers. But one of the things that she pointed out as well is that if you take the time to actually look at the, because it's multi-choice, right, you're not answering the questions in a vacuum, um, except for the, the quickfire trivia at the end. But during that cash build stage where you're trying to bring home the cash and, and prevent the chaser from getting it, there you are given multiple choice and she says if you take the time to actually look at the options you're given, you can pretty much rule two of them out straight away, and then there will be two answers that are relatively similar. And if you think about it for more than half a second, you can normally work out, even if you don't know the answer, which one is the right answer, just just based on, on what those questions are. She actually goes into that in a bit more detail. You know, there are ways to essentially guess the answer will make a pretty good stab at it, even if you don't know. Um, that That isn't just a blind guess. Yeah, I definitely think she's right there. I think the thing that throws a lot of people with this is, of course, there are only three options rather than four. So the mm. quiz tradition has always been four. And as you say, there's been usually been a 50% you can rule out straight away. It's the fact of three, I think, that sometimes throws people. Anyone been on a quiz show? Uh, me. Let's tell you. After a litany of disasters, my name is James Crute and I come from a quiz show family. My father was on a radio quiz back in the day in the 1950s, part of Quiz Kids. I believe Jim Mora might have been a part of the same team. I can't remember. Lost in the mists of time. Anyway, he was on Mastermind in the late, no, early 80s, which sparked the whole kind of quiz thing within our household. So my brother, uh, my middle brother has been on the Krypton Factor. He was on uh, It's Academic, famously got told off by Lockwood Smith for not calling him Sir. Um, he was on University Challenge. He finished fourth in the Krypton Factor and almost destroyed our washing machine because his tracksuit was so full of mud from the Burnham Assault oh, Course. What colour was he? He was green. I loved that show as a kid. I loved the Krypton like, Factor. All of those quiz shows were on when I was like five. Yeah. He physically went yeah. under the water. On all my... those quiz shows you named before Krypton Factor is the only one I remember because James is ancient compared to Kate and I. Yeah, well, there is. Well, I mean, I, re- I remember Sound of the Century. I mean, the closest and I've ever yeah. to being on a, on a quiz show is pretending to be Steve Parr and sliding in my socks across the lino floor in the kitchen. So many kids did that. Did every yeah. single child yeah. in New Zealand do that? I qualified for it, but never got on it. My two brothers both got on it. One's got a waterbed uh, and a result. I'm, I never found a, a, <laughs> water, a waterbed and a set of garden tools, I think he got from memory. Both of them only lasted a day. Did he buy it off that thing? You know, they used to stop. Yeah, yeah. Judith, Here's Judith with some fucking He thing. would have won the episode if he hadn't bought the, the <laughs> fleece-lined waterbed. 
we, we've, we've ribbed him for years about it. Look, so, yeah, ultimately it was a sad sack. So they cancelled... Uh, no, my intermediate decided they didn't want to go on W3. The principal's son got chosen over me in oh, terms of its academic. Yeah, University challenge yeah. stopped. Um, and I did finally get to go on a quiz show when they created a special one for TVNZ uh, called Grand Champion, which was an Olympics-themed one, especially for the 2004 Games in Athens. Simon Barnett hosted it. I uh, got flown up to Avalon. Um, got to take part, was in the final heat. Um, unfortunately, I came up against the one guy who got the highest total out of the entire, you know, series of heats. I got the second highest total out of all the series of heats, but unfortunately it was whoever won the heat. So went went home empty-handed, basically. <sighs> Thwarted once more. Thwarted once more. At least it wasn't what now. They would have gunged you. <laughs> Kate, quiz shows? No, no quiz shows. Lots of pub quizzes. Quite competitive in a pub quiz, which I, I don't think is a good thing. It's no, it's not a great trait in anyone, but no. I was part I'm of saying. one of Dunedin's most feared pub quiz teams. Oh, don't, well, don't, don't hold back. Tell us yeah, how good you, re- how good were this, you? This, this, they were called the Rattray Street Rats. And I was a second-generation member of the Retro Street Rats, run by a chemist at Spates, hence the title. And uh, he would select the team each week as if he was an Australian cricket selector. So you would wait to get your oh, phone like, call. He was your team. <laughs> You'd wait to get oh, a phone nah, call to see nah, see whether you, you were in the team. Nah. And it would be a mix of, you know, he would choose the selection based on the mix of ages and... Uh, you know, various uh, areas of expertise. This was essentially putting together a chase kind of idea each week for the, firstly, the Shoreline and then the Shield Hill Tavern, Mornington Pub Quiz. Amazing. I would be unavailable for selection. Oh, my God, this is horrific. Are you sure you want this to be part of the podcast? (laughs) I've got to vent these things somehow. (laughs) I do. I put it in the notes here. That I do think having probably Who Wants to Be a Millionaire is the TV quiz show that I've watched the most of lucidly rather mm-hmm. than as, you know, a small child not really paying attention. And I do think that I would back myself to win at least 16,000. 16, I reckon that, that's, that's about the point that I... There's two you know, or three hard questions or hardish questions yeah. to get 16. Yeah. Okay. I re- but, but who knows? You <clears throat> well, know, we're going to uh, find out soon because I'm going to test you very soon. Oh, I mean, James, so, you may be able to talk to this because you've actually been on a quiz show, but who knows how you perform under the spotlight? Well, get ready because the spotlight is coming. It's an out-of-body experience, I think, is yeah. the easiest way to describe it. Um, before we do that, though, I have – because there's just this whole conversation around the chase where we write these stories. Every time we write a story, it's on the top of stuff. It can be what one chase is up to. He's in New Zealand and Sean Wiles is at rest homes. Or the beast has lost weight or – the the questions being too hard seems to be a recurring thing. People get outraged very quick when we write stories about that. Um, so it's like when the riddle's too hard. I um, trawled the internet. I didn't trawl the internet. I Googled for about half an hour the other day to try and find some chase trivia that um, we didn't know or hasn't been reported somewhere ad nauseum already. This is what I've got. The chases are the best of friends. Despite their rivalry through the show and the Governor's Higgity, Mark the Beast, uh, Sean Wallace, Paul Son of January, are good friends outside the show and regularly hang out. What about Darren? Do they hang out with Darren? I don't know. This was either written before Darren went on or they hate Darren too and they <laughs> exclude him from everything they do together. Jenny and Anne even quiz together on Monday nights. So like at a pub quiz. Fuck going to that pub quiz, yeah. yeah. Well, they have leagues and all sorts of things in Britain. It's like, it's like you know, the English Premier League sort of, there are tiers and regional divisions. It's, it's insane. It takes 3.6 to 4 seconds on average to ask and answer a question on the chase, which feeds into your theory, James. Just pass. Get another yeah, one. Don't waste three more seconds. Having said that, that is one of the variables on. is the fact that some questions are way longer than others in that final round. That suggests that a maximum target that you could ever set would be about 30. Yeah. If you asked and answered correctly, there were nothing nothing insanely long and you 
We once did a study on Mastermind and the disparity between the number of questions that Peter Sinclair asked each person. Sorry, you once did a study? Yeah, on on the number of questions. Why did you do the study? Because we were convinced that it was fixed, (laughs) that depending on what specialist subject topic you chose, you were disadvantaged because your questions were like, you know, an average of six seconds as opposed to an average of three or four. So... Sorry, what what was the context for this study? <laughs> Pure jealousy or hatred, probably. You did this. You did this at home. Yep. And there was a disparity. Definitely. Oh. even even scandalous. Yeah. All right, there now. I'm going to test you guys. So, um, bear with me. I'm just going to quickly find it here. In 2018, four players faced the governess and went home with a mouth-watering hundred thousand pounds, which I think might have been the highest at the time. I'm not sure. Um, but yes. it was really high, and it's probably one of the highest still, even if it isn't top. I think it is. I think 100,000 has been won twice. Uh, the wrong trousers? Correct. Time is up! Yes. 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 Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes. 100,000 oh. pounds. Oh. Unbelievable. The they pounds. set a target of 21 questions for and the governess Hegarty to get. Do you two guys think you can get them and deprive them of the £100,000 they won? Oh. Because I watched this episode. I watched about, I watched five minutes on YouTube and wrote all the questions down. I have 21 questions here. Are we, are James and I a team? Yep. Okay. You can be, a, yeah, you're a team, you're a chasing, chase a team. Do we have a particular tactic we want to use? What I'm going to do, I've thought about this. What I'm going to do is you're going to say your name and then the answer. Saying your name counts as buzzing in. Um, okay. For pushbacks, uh, we'll just say every second wrong answer is a pushback. So 50% of your wrong answers will be will result in a pushback. Yeah? Okay. okay. I'm just going to get my... So this is one being added to the, to the total. I'm just getting my notepad so I can... So Kate, if there's more than a, sec, a two-second delay, someone just say pass. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's the only thing I can think of. I should say as well that there's a distinct disadvantage in that James and I cannot see each other. Mm. Exactly. So no, That's tough. no visual clues. So, yeah, the first person to buzz in, you say your name, I'll say your name to you, then you answer. That should take less than a second. Are we timing? Are I'm we timing. I've got a timer. Okay. How long is it? Is it two minutes? Two minutes. Two minutes. Okay. So I'll stop every time there's a wrong answer. I'll stop and we can pause and pretend you don't get it wrong, whatever. Okay. Kate and James. We won't do nicknames. Kate and James, the chasers, are you ready? Your target is 21 questions. I think I have 25 or 27 or something like that. There's, there should be enough here for you. Okay, let's go. Your time starts now. Which action movie star is the father of Sophia Stallone? James. James. Sylvester Stallone. <clears throat> Correct. Ross Barclay represents England in what sport? James. James. Football. Correct. In which sitcom do Old Flames Gene and Lionel meet up again? Pass. James, pass. Amityville and Babylon are places on what New York island? James, pass. In the 1970 film The Railway Children, how many were girls? James, pass. (laughs) The unicorn is the national animal of what UK country? James, Ireland. Incorrect. Scotland. Stop the clock. So, that's one wrong. And how many have we passed on? About three. Three. So that's two off. I was going to jump in on the railway children, but... What would you have said? I would have said two. Yeah, you should have. Ah, damn. Ah, so you guys oh, are on zero. Oh, okay. With your, two, with your two passes and your incorrect answer. <clears throat> Sorry, four passes and two wrong. Okay, time restarts now. 42 seconds down. You've got a minute 18. Natch is a short form of what other word? James Pass. Naturally. Michael Kors was a judge on what TV fashion show? James, Project Runway. Correct. What domestic pet is the Norwegian Buhund? James, dog. Correct. The Misunderstood Prince is a 2017 book about which man? James, pass. Oh, you should have guessed. Prince Charles, who directed the films Milk and Goodwill Hunting? James, Gus Van Sant. Correct. What Mexican bread is used to make a quesadilla? James. Kate. Kate. A tortilla. Correct. Comedian Chris Lilly was born in which country? James, Australia. Correct. What is depicted in the Matisse picture, Le Bateau? James, pass. 
about who was Prime Minister of Portugal during World War II. James Pace. Pace. Oh. A warbler is slang for what sort of entertainer? James Singer. Correct. The brand Tresemme specialises in what sort of product? James Hair Products. Correct. The rugby star Jonah Lomu mainly played in what position? James Wing. Correct. Castle Russian is located in what island of the Irish Sea? James Pass. Isle of Man. What high street store owns the parenting website Gurgle? And you're out of time. I gave you a couple more seconds because I fluffed an answer or two. The answer we were looking for was Mother Care. You guys got 12, and I've been kind on the pushbacks. <laughs> they win $100,000. Sorry, guys. I got 12. I got Tortilla. You got Tortilla. I did. It was hard. I did sense halfway through that it was getting tough, that you guys couldn't see each other, and there was pauses and things where I felt it would have been better if you were in the same room. I will. I will. That's it. Anyone, any final, ta- any final chase thoughts from anyone? Final thoughts on the chase. Oh, oh Kate, you're going to give us the results. What were the results, the results of? Um... Oh, so what people actually answered. So if you go to the interactive, we ask you to answer three questions about the chase. How often the chasers win? How much prize money they've given away on the show? And who the best chaser is? I've obviously given away all three answers during the course of this podcast. So if you have not looked at the interactive yet your chances of success are going to skyrocket but the people that have already answered the questions and did not have the benefit of me giving them the answers of those forty-five thousand odd people who've answered about a quarter of them got at least one of the three questions right but all three questions there were 75 people 75 out of 45,000, so about 0.17%, oh, 0.2, shall it, got all three questions correct. What were the three questions again? The three questions were, how often does the chaser win? Who's the best chaser? And how much prize money has been given away on the show in total? Yeah, that's To the nearest million pounds. We've been, we've been kind on that question. We haven't asked for, you know, the exact figure. 75 people. Hmm. So I wouldn't rate stuff readers' chances on the chase. I'm sorry to say. Oh. I wouldn't rate my my chances on the chase given my performance just now. That's it for us for this bonus episode of The Long Read. Thank you, James. Thank you. Thank you, Kate. Thank you very much. We'll see you again as normal on the weekend. Thanks for listening.